Jonathan kicks us off, right? We're live. Uh, I guess I, I guess I do. Uh, welcome to the Ayn Rand Center UK. It's Jonathan Honig, uh, along with Nikos Superior Kapalapagos. Uh, we've got a wonderful show for you this morning, this evening. We're a global community here at the Ayn Rand Center UK, so we welcome our viewers and listeners from around the world, from the United Kingdom, Wales, continental Europe, South and Central America, North America, the Antarctic continent, and of course, the African continent. You're all welcome here. And we have kind of a global story for you today. Uh, something that is probably more of particular interest to our English fans and listeners. And we want to always be soliciting not only your response, but also your donations and your support. We are a for-profit institution. Now, the profits are pretty small, but we want to increase them so we can increase our program to you. So make good use of that super chat. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about some of the violence, well, some of the violence, frankly, that has marred the aftermath of the Euro 2020 match. Now, here in America, we call what you call football soccer. So I'm going to admit, I don't know much about football, the sport, or certainly in Europe. But this is at least, Nikos, I'll tell you what made headlines, and I'll share my screen here uh, with the permission of the Lord Master, uh, Razi. If our audience can see, this is what made headlines, at least here in America and really around the world. It wasn't even the, the final score, but it was these really sickening scenes of violence, I mean, of bloody violence spectators being hauled off away, phalanxes of riot police uh, all lined up, uh, getting pelted with shit and smoke and, you know, all kind of stuff. Here's a bloody fan, you know, like all bloodied up and, you know, shirtless. Now, this is, you know, it's pretty shocking scenes, especially when you say that this is from a sporting event. And Nicholas, when I looked at this, I have to say, I said, where have I seen this before? Where, how does this look familiar? And I remember, Oh yeah, it's like Egypt, the Egyptian uprising, September 20th of 2021. And, and you know, look at this, this was a political storm, a tribal, tribal politics, right? It wasn't about a game, but look at the same things, you know, police in riot gear, clashing, flags waving, you know, uh, flags being burned, people being hauled off and, you know, violence, the same type of thing. So we're going to get into it, but I wanted to toss it to you with that first perspective, at least from an American's perspective, coming coming to the, the football world in the United Kingdom, these scenes are horrific and they have nothing to do with the sport or the game. Okay, so on the one hand, yeah, I definitely agree that uh, these scenes are not good and uh, there was violence and it's horrible. Now, as someone who has... But, followed... but, do it. Oh, no, there is, there is no but, there is no but. Here's where I'm going with this. So as someone who has been into football for ages, they're by no means something which is unique or something new. And I don't even think that the extent of them was uh, so really shocking. I think what made this make headlines is the whole atmosphere around football in the UK. And the fact that football is now one of the biggest fronts of the culture wars. So... Last week I was on I was on TV and uh, it was before the final, so everyone in the country was happy. And the pundit asked me, "Is this a chance for the country to heal? Is football gonna bring us together?" And my answer was, "Well, enjoy it while it lasts, because this country is divided anyway for many reasons. And football can take out your best self for a while, but usually it doesn't last, so it cannot mask the problems." So part of the violence was people trying to enter Webley, the stadium without the venue, without a ticket. And part of this was, and of course, there's no excuse for the violence, but 
it was the stupid decision by the government to say there's going to be 70% capacity. So, which makes no sense. So yeah. many people thought, okay, they're going to, oh, wait, let me finish. It's, this, is not, this is not the sanctioning of the events. I'm just explaining what happened. So that was, that was part of it. So part of the violence was people entering without a ticket. And then part of the violence at the end was people attacking Italian fans. Now, I don't think this was like very, this wasn't something which was characteristic of the average person who was there. So it was a minority. So that's how, right. that's, that's my first take. That's, I'm going to share, I'm going to be taken some within of the footage as you, as you talk, Nico, I'm going to share some of that footage, as you said, um, courtesy of news.com.au of the fans, as you said, storming uh, through, you know, some people who maybe didn't see it uh, move a little, you know, to me, a lot of this looks like, if you remember the scenes from the Capitol Hill riot on January 16th, uh, you know, to me, it reminded me very much of this. And then, you know, here's a good one. Just friggin' balls out street fighting of, um, you know, people just intermittently beating each other up at, you know, right near the concession stand, right near the hot dogs or pasties or whatever you're talking about. So this was, this wasn't, you know, respectfully, this wasn't just, oh, kind of a couple of fans coming in. This was just like a whole scene of tribal, AKA Nikos's book, tribal violence. And I, I'm really anxious to hear your perspective on that. Okay, yeah, but uh, let's keep into perspective that there were 70,000 people there. Well, again, many of them were Italian, but there were, let's say, 60,000 English fans, and the vast, 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 vast majority of them did not behave like that. Now, many were short losers, and obviously the environment was not as welcoming. So in 2004, Greece won the European Championship in Portugal. So And in the final, we played with the hosts. So the same thing that happened this year. Italy won against the host. We won against the host. And people who were there said how beautiful it was that at the end, the Portuguese, they said, okay. So there was no violence and all that stuff. So yes, there is an element within the English football, which is violent. But this is by no means characteristic of football. And my fear here is that there is anyway this prejudice that people who follow football are these not to be trusted, almost unwashed masses. And every time we try to find something and jump on it and say, see, I told you people are not to be trusted. It's these working class, uh, it's these working class uh, uh, unwashed masses. Now, I just want to make clear that what is the proportion here? Now, why am I saying this, Jonathan, and why I think it's super important? because it links to something else that also got the attention of the people. Another horrific behavior, which was the racist abuses against three English players. So against the three players who missed the penalty, uh, Rashford, Saka and uh, Sanchez. Now, next day, these players woke up to a number of tweets with predictable, horrible racist slur. Predictable, I mean, the stuff that we usually see in terms of, so I don't want to, to repeat them. Now, what this, the reaction that this created was the proper one, which says, okay, this is horrendous, racism has no place and all that stuff. But again, we need to make sure we get the proportion here. Is this characteristic of the average person in the UK? Because, one more thing, because again, we had this idea that this is a country overrun by racists, that the government, by not supporting the kneeling of the players, sanctioned this racism. And today and yesterday, we have discussions within the Conservative Party 
on saying whether we should support the kneeling. Now, put into pro proportion, we are talking about something like a, a hundred and something incidents. Now, even one incident would be horrendous. But the proportion of the people who went to Twitter to express their sympathy or their admiration to these players, then the proportion of the people who did this abuse. Yes, 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 yes. Of course, and we can't judge, we judge people as individuals. And so it's certainly not legitimate, at least in my perspective, to say England's racist or to say even all football fans are racist. But, you know, Nikos, you're saying, oh, well, this is kind of a recent thing. I did just like, oh, I don't know, eight seconds of a Google search and like, here's articles and uh, uh, analysis, scholarly analysis back in the eighties about soccer hooliganism in Europe, right? Specifically, yeah. so they're already writing research papers. This whole friggin' book's written about it. Understanding football hooliganism, a comparison. I mean, this isn't just sprung up in the last couple of years. Here's, a, here's one hooligans abroad. You know, it's like there's a whole scholarly body research about these animals. And, you know, I, I, I'll just say, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna emphasize it, but like we showed, a, you know, I, I do love the uh, AV Nikos, as you know, but, um, you know, I showed the, the stampeding fans, right? So I also thought, like, what did it remind me of? It's like, that's, here's stampeding buffaloes. It's the same kind of thing. It's that tribal. So in my mind, it's not in England, but there is something going on with this football hooliganism that in my mind is, you know, straight up unique to Europe. And, you know, Rand talked about that. If you kind of check out what Rand had to say about, uh, about uh, uh, tribalism in particular, um, uh, you know, she alludes to it, and I'll, I'll pull up the quote, but she alludes to it as being dominant in Europe. So yeah. you don't see this in America. So well, you see a lot of it in Latin America, but this, okay, this is not a competition who is worse. So particularly in the 80s, hooliganism in England was way, 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 way worse. And we had tragedies like the tragedy in Hazel in the Champions League final between Juventus and Liverpool. Many people died. We had the Hillsborough disaster in 89 in, in England. So again, this is not to say that this is to say, oh, it doesn't matter. But let's put it in proportion. And let's be very, very careful. I will repeat this again. Football is nowadays at the center of the attention of the culture wars. And people with any kind of political agenda are trying to impose the narrative on this. So we have to be very, very careful. We have to be very, very measured on how we put these things in proportion. Let me give you an example. So the other day, oh, by the way, let me also say something else. From the, uh, from the racist insults on the players, the majority of them are outside of the UK, from, from what we can say. So someone said something very interesting. And Alan said something very interesting. He said, we have to be very careful here because there's the potential of, quote, strategic targeted use of social media to undermine the UK, both with regard to social cohesion and to harm the UK's reputation and economic opportunities. What does this mean in very simple ways? Someone who understands how fragile this society is and how incapable of understanding and putting things into proportion. They would say, look, if we send a hundreds of this type of stuff, this country is going to eat each other on whether there's systemic racism in this country or whether the average uh, Englishman is racist. Because this was a discussion we all had with Brexit. The narrative after Brexit was that Brexit was driven by racism and by xenophobia. 
So again, this on the one hand, we definitely need to condemn, even if it was two people or a hundred people, horrible, we need to condemn all that stuff. At the same time, we have to be very careful not to stereotype a whole country and a country which is one of the most welcome countries for an immigrant. I'm an immigrant in the UK. Of course, okay, someone could say if you were a person of color, it would be more difficult, maybe. But to, to pour, if you see all the metrics in terms of views about immigration, the UK is way, way better than the other, definitely yes. better, definitely above the average. So I'm very, very cautious in my judgment here. And I'm very, very cautious on jumping on the bandwagon that says, oh, now we need to forget everything. Yes, you have to kneel because otherwise you are sanctioning 160 racists. No, I don't accept this. I'm not going to throw away any judgment that I have about world politics being pushed by 160 thugs. If these 160 yes, yes, thugs yes, are even in the country. And the antidote to racism, Nikos, as Rand, I believe, emphasizes, is not more racism. It is individualism. Individualism. Um, that that is the only anecdote, and I, you know this is something I want to stress as well. Thank you. We have a really active super chat going on. Sammy is she is not bored again, despite what she says. She's not bored again because she gave us a whole pound. So we appreciate that, and thank you, Hugh. Hugh, you know, tossed me a little joke, and I didn't get it, sarcasm, but he kind of alluded to some of that, you know, racist taunting that is. I just think it has no place even on our channel, Nikos. You know, we we are we're above that. We're above even making jokes about it. Mary Lee, thank you as well. Nikos covers a lot of this in his new book. The 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 vibe on the super chat is really positive about that. And you know, I found the quote. We'll quickly share Nikos, and we want to talk with our audience in the super chat as well, obviously. But you know, Miss Rand says tribalism, which is the best name to give all the group manifestations of the anti-conceptual mentality, is a dominant element in Europe as a reciprocally reinforcing cause and result of Europe's long history of caste systems of national and local provincial chauvinism of rule by brute force and endless bloody wars. So check that out by Miss Rand. But Nikos, I just say the response, when I look at these scenes, I don't think, oh, Brexit and oh, what about this and that? I say, what is up with that guy? Those individuals, not England writ large, not even, but what's wrong with that group of 20 or 30 men or 50 or 100 men that they turn into animals, that they color their bodies, that they wave their flag, that they, they, they abandon reason. Dr. Peikoff talks about this in one of his podcasts, he, you know, his tie-in contest, and his, his, his net result was unreason leads to force. That was his, I understand, take on the football hooligism. You know, Nikos, do these guys get up on Tuesday and go to work after they trash the stadium on Sunday and, and beat up people? Then they say, oh, I had a great time this weekend. I mean, that is just abandoning of reason. And it's, it's not human. It's subhuman in my book. Okay, but again, agreed about the violence. Don't agree about people who, you know, you can paint your face and be cute and go to the stadium and wave a flag. But yes, I get yes, yes, yes. Of course, of course. I'm not just... But, but here's a point, Jonathan. Abandoning of reason. Here's the point. You see these scenes also on a Saturday night outside the pub. So I don't think it's football that is doing this. Now, is football a home to tribalism? Yes, it is. And actually, if you want to find the, the peak of tribalism, how about this? How about Greek hooligans, for example, bonding with Serbian hooligans 
based solely on the on the color of the of the kit of the that the team is wearing. I mean, those of you who are watching and know Greek football, you know what I'm talking about. So you have fans of one team bonding with with fans of another team to go to beat fans of different teams in different countries. So you have like an international of hooliganism. Now, why you have this again? It's a big. It's a very very big topic. It's definitely linked to nationalism, but not only. You have many hooligans who are on the left. You have anarchist hooligans. You have uh, Antifa hooligans. So it's difficult to pinpoint it to a specific ideology. You can definitely put it, though, to collectivistic ideology. So there is definitely this tribal thing. So there's no question about that. But again, don't let's not be fooled. What we see these days in the UK has more to do with the politicization of football I would say with the politicization of everything and less with any revival in hooliganism. Hooliganism, in the, again, in, the, in England was a massive problem. It's not a massive problem anymore in comparison to what it was. We see things that are here and there. And I would, weigh, I would say it's one of the safest environments in the UK, a football stadium. compared you, to a pub. Are you crazy, Nikos? A football I, I, stadium? No, 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 no. All no. those fans drinking and all this tribalism in full display. Every video I see is like smoke bombs going off. It looks like fucking apocalypse now. Come oh, on, I'm not on. making no, that no, 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 up. No, no, no. And even Duncan Curry, uh, this isn't now an R-rated show, but even Duncan Curry, thank you for your generous contribution, says, how much of this is mindlessness from alcohol abuse? So that's what, I mean, Nico, is this, am I making this up? I've never been to a game, but it just looks like, uh, let me tell you something. Let me what tell I you see. something. Uh, I know people who have season tickets in English football grounds and they go with their daughter, university professors, people who wouldn't. Who I remember I, I had a colleague who told me, I went to the stadium once and I said, because they moved to that city and said, I would go to the stadium if I would make sure that there's no like anti, there's no homophobic stuff. I would go to the stadium with my daughter. For two, three years, he had the season ticket in Leicester. So club, particularly club football in the UK, is among the safest places to be. Now, this is not the same with traveling fans, particularly fans traveling abroad, particularly traveling abroad for uh, international tournaments. So in 2016, there were clashes with Russian hooligans, for example. And again, people said, oh, these are the people who vote for Brexit, you see? They go out and they make a and they make, uh, they make us ashamed to be British. So I'll, I'll be very, very careful here. I'll only condemn the people who did it. As our friend said, a lot of it is fueled by alcohol, as it is violence on a Saturday night on a high street. But I don't want to, to create a moral panic, as Brennan O'Neill wrote on Spiked, when there should be no moral panic. These are, how to call it, isolated incidents. And uh, yes, tribalism, yes, brute force, yes, irrationality. But by no means, this is what British football, uh, English football is. No means. Christopher Smith, who is a wonderful participant in our Super Chats, a frequent contributor on our Super Chats here. He's a great part of the Iran Center UK, a member I know. He, he offers up, Nikos, that this football hooliganism is, quote, like hockey in Canada. The fighting is the stupidest thing in, ever, in my opinion. But the fans and Canadians think it's great. I think it's stupid. And I, I do too, Nikos, and I, I don't, I'm not into hockey. One of the reasons is because of that. But, you know, at least in hockey, from what I see, it's basically two guys, they throw down, 
and there's a bit of this and you know maybe a and they let it go but it's not like the whole fans erupt and the stadium erupts so i think that fighting is is really uncool and just you know i yeah. don't like it as well it, but it's it much also, more measured keep in mind that in other countries they're also related to there have been related to paramilitary groups or to criminal organizations or in other countries in balkans for example you have knives you have killings quite often so this doesn't start sounds awesome sorry sounds awesome i mean who does yeah no it's horrendous know. it's 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 horrendous but again proportion nothing to do with what we saw in england and overall football is a, is a safe environment in the uk and also one of the first environments where racism was delegitimized in practice so football is this thing that can bring you together because what matters is skill and what matters is achievement so that's why it has been on the forefront of fighting racism when racism was actually a much bigger force in the english uh, in the english society so i want to be just to do justice yeah. to football and i want to do justice yeah. to the 99.9% of of football yes. fans in the I, uk i think you have to treat always as people as individuals you know that's what i'm curious is like you know is it um you know what is it about the environment i, I don't know what is it about that prompts people to act like this we don't have a lot of time left but i want to ask or acknowledge gail a frequent contributor as well who asks after a very generous donation and we really welcome them at einrandcenteruk.com and 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 certainly on the super chat nico she asks does national sport supported by taxpayers reinforce nationalism so is very difficult question mm. so it depends if you if you already have this tendency it is easy to support it also it supports So think about the case in Yugoslavia where this, before the civil war you could smell in the air that there was something going on from what was happening even within the national team with people saying also I'm a Serb you're a Croat and all that stuff. So or there's there's the scenario that even wars in Latin America I don't remember which two countries I think Honduras was the one started because of football if you google Latin America war started by football you'll see what I mean so when something is already there and something is already burning under the surface yes football can make this bigger uh, when it comes to tax paid well obviously on principle I agree but these tournaments usually end up creating a lot of revenue through sponsor and all that stuff so i don't think it's a major issue in terms of uh, yeah i'm in favor of uh, separating sports from the state obviously but i don't think it's a it's such a big issue by the way let me say even this about greece a lot of people say greece was bankrupted by the olympic games this is one of the biggest urban myths ever the olympic games basically cost us a fraction of what the public spending of greece is every half a year not even uh, for a whole year so Anyway, that's a different. That's a different and, topic. And, um, one of our. I'm kind of get back to it here. I was kind of looking for. Oh, um, Marilyn, thank you again for your super chat. We love kind of all your participation. Marilyn suggests that we need Dr. Tara Smith to weigh in, and I was kind of looking to find some of her academic work in many cases, uh, her objectivist perspective on sports and the value of sports. So. Yeah, Nikos, nothing shitting on sports. I mean, I, I love watching it and being part of it and appreciating all of it, the beauty of the people working together and the majesty of the body and like the, the thinking behind it, the, 
I mean, sports is so amazing and it's something to celebrate and cheer. So, and even as you said, like put on face paint and wave a flag and stuff like that. But, you know, once you bring that unreason and violence into it, it's just all of a sudden it to me is abhorrent. Um, and Dr. Yeah. Smith has a number of great podcasts and, and I think it's in her book on normative ethics. So check out what Dr. Tara Smith has to say about the beauty yeah, of so sports and, I, and objectivism. I talked to Tara about this. So she said it's something like a work in, in the doing, but she's mostly focused on sports as inspiration and as this idea to rise and this challenge for excellence, rather than on the, you know, how, how sports, what is its effect on society. But uh, we are trying to bring Dr. Smith, uh, Professor Smith, uh, in. Hopefully she, she's going to be close. She's going to be with us at some point in the not so distant future. Oops. <laughs> I have one of her books here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm working on it. I have one of her books here, Viable Values. Absolutely recommend. And now you know the truth of really what happens here. This isn't a <laughs> fake set a la Harry Binswanger. This is the re- ASA, right? But thank you, Sammy is bored again, for your contribution and everything. Check out what Dr. Smith has done for objectivism. Great thinker. And we'll get her here on the Ayn Rand Center UK. Okay, so let me say some last one last thing before we before we call it a day. So there is a shop which Raz is gonna post the link soon. And in this shop, you can find some interesting merchandise, some t-shirts that the people who appear on the t-shirts might or might not have enthusiastically sanctioned them, but the t-shirts are still fun. Uh, the other day I saw uh, there's also a laptop cover with the logo of the Android Center UK. There are mugs. There are many beautiful things there. So give it a go. There's also a, there's also a discount for members, for members of Android Center UK. Now, speaking about collectivist tribalism and all that stuff, in uh, 35 minutes, which means that Clubhouse today is going to be a short one. Again, mostly interested. So for people who haven't been to Clubhouse, Jonathan, by the way, let's say this. Clubhouse is mostly... We want to hear what you have to say. What are your thoughts on the topic? What are your thoughts on whatever we discuss on the day? So Clubhouse is, it's a bit like this radio station where people call in and we have this interesting discussion. I really enjoy it. Anyway, in 33 minutes, we are discussing the AC collectivized rights with James Valiant. So on the Anron Center UK, you, will, uh, you can catch this up and... Uh, it's going to be, I promise to you that this is going to be good because I have some very difficult questions. I try to see this essay as someone who is, I'm not really convinced what is Ron saying here. I'm going to try to find the most difficult questions and I'm going to ask James Valiant these questions. And it's interesting. It's going to include things like interventions in other countries, things like democracy, things like what should we vote for? And it's it's gonna be it's gonna be juicy and uh, interesting. Okay, anything else, Jonathan? No, I mean that's that's part of what you get when you support the Iron Center UK. The opportunity to to talk about these issues, and as we always say, we are students of objectivism. We enjoy that interplay. We enjoy learning from experts like like James Valiant uh, and so many others. Your own has weekly debates, etc., and and the interplay with you. So. Join us on Clubhouse, become a member, share, do all the things, push like, uh, you know, and, and make us a part of your media diet. So we'll see you on Clubhouse in five, five minutes or less. Five minutes or less. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jonathan. Bye-bye.